Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. So we're starting the second part of our series called Thankful. Okay, and so you're about to in a couple weeks. Be very full of something. Hopefully you'll also be full of thanks. And so this morning, we're going to continue on that topic. And particularly th- this week, we're interested in discovering how can we be outwardly thankful. Okay, so how many of you are generally a thankful person, but not always an expressive person? If you go ahead and raise your hand, yeah. Uh, okay, so how many of you have ever gone into the store? This is a personal pet peeve, so if you're ever with me and you want to annoy me, You know. Okay, so if there's two sets of doors, and I come up to that first door, and I open that door for you, I do it out of the kindness of my heart, but I also expect that you open that next door, and you hold it for me. I'm like, okay, so whatever happens is when we walk into this place, and and I open the door, and then the next person, they just come through, and I don't know them. They open the door, and they just keep going, and then I'll leave the door open. And a part of me was like, wait, 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 wait. I thought as a culture, we agreed that we would take turns, right? That I let you ahead of me for a second, but then you let me back ahead of you, all right? Now, I know as a Christian that there's probably something in my heart that I need to deal with about my expectations, but that is not today's sermon. Today's sermon is about expressing thankfulness and gratitude, right? And so we're moving into the holiday season, and you may be already shopping for Christmas. Now, we have lots of nieces and nephews, and and every year we get together, and I don't know about you, but I feel this pressure when I get a gift for a kid, and especially when I know other people are going to be getting gifts for the same kid. There's a competition that goes on, and this is why in America we spend so much money and too much money on the holidays, is because ideally you're going to end up giving the gift that that kid just cherishes. You're going to give the gift that just makes them cry and that they spend the rest of the day and they throw every other toy away, that they just want that one gift. Acceptable is that at least they're like happy with the toy in the moment. What you don't want to be is the aunt or uncle that bought underwear for them, all right? Because then you just see it on their face, and then like, seriously? Seriously, this is what you give me? I don't want this, right? And so we all fear this moment of like getting the Christmas gift wrong, and kids can't hide it, right? They can't, they don't, they don't care to hide whether or not they're grateful, right? Uh, if they don't like what you gave them, they will toss it over their shoulder and say, what's next, all right? Uh, and so this is true. Like if you've ever been around a kid, if you've ever had kids, you know that gratefulness is not a part of our DNA, right? Gratefulness, particularly expressing our gratefulness, is not a part of our DNA, right? So I have a four-year-old. Her name's Emma, and I want to apologize Because sometimes she might come up to you and ask for something from you and then just walk away as soon as she gets it without ever saying thanks and maybe even having like a moving on to another moment, having a weird look on her face, right? Sometimes she can be a jerk. Don't tell her I told her that. But she's four years old and so she's, she's not sure. And so me and my wife, we are trying to discipline her so that she'll be expressive in her gratefulness, Right? And so we first off, we start with, hey, you can't just say, I want. You need to ask. Right? So we, we start with saying, hey, you need to ask for things. And then if someone gives something to you, you need to say thanks. Right? It's real simple. You need to say thanks. Occasionally, we'll be in the store. 
Target is like the favorite spot. She knows they give stickers. So she'll say, I want a sticker. And then we'll be like, say, ask. And then she'll get it and she won't say anything. And so me or my wife will say, what do you say? Right? And usually she's pretty good. She'll say thanks. But every now and then she just will ignore us. She's like, she got what she wants. She's good to go. And so what happens occasionally is I'll walk over to her. I'll grab the sticker. And I'll say, well, you don't get this. Right? You're not grateful for what you've been given. You don't get to keep it. Right? And so we're trying to teach her. Now, in the short term, right, she cries and throws a fit, and we have to deal with that. But in the long term, I'm trying to teach her that what you get from someone, what someone gives to you is a gift. And you need to express thanks. Right? You need to create the discipline of doing that. And so it's a really important thing to be able to do. So, the question this morning for us is how can we be outwardly thankful? In response to what God has done in our lives, how can we be outwardly thankful? So when I think of that question, I think there's a bunch of different passages we could go to, right? We could go to the classic story where Jesus heals the men with leprosy and only one returns. And only one has a heart of thankfulness to God, though all were healed. And that would be a good example. Or we could look at the life of Paul. And basically all of, life's Paul, all of Paul's life can be summed up as one that he is working out of the gratitude of his heart for the kingdom of God. That God has radically transformed his life and he can't help but give every fiber of his being to the kingdom of God. And we could look through all these places. But this morning I want to venture in to the Psalms. Now, the Psalms are a bit of a scary place to go because you never know what you're going to get when you get into the Psalms, right? You may get the most depressing thing ever. You may, like, get this, God, why? And would you crush the head of my enemies with a stone? You may, you may get, uh, the, the grave is enveloping me and swallowing me whole. But occasionally, and frequently at times, you get this idea of thankfulness to God. You say, oh, my soul, give thanks to the Lord. Let all the earth rejoice to the Lord. You hear this time and time again where the Psalms invite us to participate. You see, the reason that the Psalms have been such a powerful tool for Jews and Christians for thousands of years is that it resonates with us. You may walk in this morning wishing that you could pray that prayer about bashing someone's head. You may walk in this morning feeling like the grave or your bed was swallowing you whole. You may feel that things are difficult and the Psalms give a voice to your feelings. You may be going through a dark time and you have a question and the Psalms give you the words to question God. You may have encountered some tragedy and, and in fact, and to be frank, you might be mad at God and the Psalms give you the type of words that you can express to God, even your anger. But then you might be on cloud nine, and you might be so grateful for God, and the Psalms give you the words and the phrase to express your thankfulness to God, because the Psalms invite us. They invite us to participate. Wherever you're at in life, they invite you to participate with your God and to interact. You see, the Psalms are not like your high school diary, right? Where you write poetry about that crush that was in geometry. It's not like that. And that you look back when you're like 40 and you're like, oh, I got to get rid of this because this is really embarrassing. Like, that's not what the Psalms are. The Psalms are this public document. 
And the nation of Israel would often come into the temple and maybe they would hear and sing a different psalm and they would be invited. And so when you hear the words, I, me, and you, it's us. You're being invited to take place, to take the author's role and say, I will sing to my soul. You, O Lord. You're being invited to take these words on as your own. And so this morning I want us to look at one of the most depressing psalms I'm just joking. We're going to look at one of the Thanksgiving Psalms this morning. Psalm 138. It's a beautiful, beautiful poem about the goodness of the Lord. And so let's read together Psalm 138. It says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the Lord, the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, for your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. It's a beautiful poem, but as with poetry, you can sort of read through it and move right along. You're like, oh, that was a pretty way of saying things. But poetry takes work. You have to dig in. You have to imagine and enter into the moment and figure out what is actually being said. So this morning, as we imagine what it looks like to be outwardly thankful, when we imagine what it looks like to take the goodness of God in our lives and turn it into praise, expressed through our mouth, not just through our actions, I want us to pause and I want us to look through this psalm together because I think but there are some valuable lessons. And I think that this psalm can give us some inspiration for the way that we should live outwardly thankful. So the first thing that I think this psalm teaches us is that we have to resolve to give thanks to God. You have to resolve to give thanks. Giving thanks is a discipline, right? And so this is why I teach my daughter to be thankful, because it isn't something that's inherent to our nature. You have to teach yourself to be thankful, right? And that's not just enough to be like sort of thankful in your heart, right? Because that's not, that's not what anyone can tell. Have you ever been at work and you like were working on a project and you decided, you know what, uh, one of my friends, one of my coworkers is struggling. They're a little bit behind. And so this isn't exactly my responsibility, but if I can get this done, that'll help them get their job done. And so you go out of your way. Maybe you work at night at home on this project and you get it done and everything goes great and your coworker never acknowledges that work right? And so then what ends up happening is you get real mad, right? And you're like, well, how dare they not notice what I did for them, right? No, you may not have even ever told them what you did. And so what happens, right? We all do this. Don't act like you don't. What happens is the next project, you're like, well, I'm just going to do my stuff, right? I'm not lifting a finger to help that person, right? And so the next project, you come in and you have gotten your stuff done, but you know that once again, for whatever reason, your coworker is behind. And this time you're like, well, you dropped the ball. 
this is your fault, right? And suddenly there's this like angst built up. Now, maybe you've actually been mature enough to like deal with this, or maybe it's blown up so that you had to deal with it. And then what typically happens in those situations is that one of two things. Number one, you both realize that the anger and the conflict started over something like opening the door for each other, right? Not recognizing like, well, you didn't pour my coffee. You got everyone else coffee, but you didn't give me coffee, right? Or, or it turns out that that person's like, I did say things. I guess I just turned away and you didn't hear me, right? And so what happens is you may have years of a strained relationship only to find out when you finally go to resolve it that the person was thankful. They just didn't express it. They weren't outwardly that. expressive about their things. And so what ends up happening is you're able to resolve this situation. You see, it's not natural all the time for us to be thankful and to be vocal about it. Like negativity sells, right? It's easier to make an insult. I'm the youth pastor here, and so I hang out with the teenagers, and like it's like common practice that like your goal is to get the biggest insult in. Even if you don't mean the words that are coming out of your mouth, but they open the door, you have to walk through that door, right? As they say something about their mom, and you like you have a comeback. Like, well, your mom is so dumb, it takes her two hours to watch 60 Minutes. Right? And so it doesn't matter like what actually happens, but the insult, it's just the ability to show that you can get that insult in. And so what I talk to them about is that it's, it's more difficult, right? We feel awkward when we give a compliment. Have you ever like received a compliment and you're like, well, thanks. I don't know what to do. I'm going to walk away now. Right? It's just like we don't, as a culture, we don't know what to do with positivity. Right? We just know what to do with negativity, but it's so difficult. And so being thankful requires discipline. It requires resolve. So David here in this psalm begins the words with these first two verses. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So this psalm begins with the words of David probably in your Bible. So it invites us to think through this poem as coming from David. Whether or not David wrote it, we're invited to read this as David's words. And the Bible tells us in First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel that David was a man whose whole heart was after God. That he wasn't perfect by any means, but he was a man whose heart was devoted to God. And we read in Second Kings that not all of the other kings were that way. That the kings of Israel often actually led the nation into idolatry. And we find this one king by the name of Ahaz. He's in a bit of a pinch, and he's trying to find a way politically to get out of the situation. And so he literally goes, and he takes a model of an altar, and he builds it in the temple. And he goes, and he builds this temple, and he builds an altar in the temple of the living God to another God. And this interesting phrase crops up in this poem. It says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, in front of the gods. In front of the gods. You see, when Ahaz set up this altar, he's in the temple of the living God, and he would have gone to it with some grain or some type of animal, and he would have made a thank offering, literally a thanksgiving offering. And he would have been in the presence of the living God, giving thanks to a different God. And so if we're wholehearted after God, we will give thanks only to God, no matter what idols 
are around us. Now, we live in a very prosperous, modern, Western country, and we're moving into the holiday season, right? And you are being marketed to at every single turn to buy the best thing, and that this one gift will make you like the king of the party, will make you the most important person. Everyone will be impressed. And so what ends up happening is that we are being enticed to worship an idol, an idol of materialism, an idol of being uh, impressive, right? And so you may end up finding yourself sometime during this holiday at another family member's church. And you may literally be in the house of God, and yet you're dressed to the nines, and your heart is more concerned about your impression that you're making on the people around you than the impression that you're making with God. And so you may literally be in the house of God when you're supposed to be giving thanks to the creator of it all and you are giving thanks to your own intellect, to your own career, to yourself as an idol. We're walking into the season and here's the deal. As Christians in this culture, we have to resolve in our hearts that no matter what might be enticing me, I only give thanks to God. No matter how I feel about myself and my achievements, I only give thanks to God. My whole heart must be the Lord's. So the first thing, if you want to be outwardly thankful, resolve to give thanks only to God. The second thing that we need to do is remember what God has done in Christ. Remember what God has done in Christ. Let's read this part, second, last part of the verse 2. It says this, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Okay, now I love biblical languages, Hebrew and Greek, so you're going to have to al allow me to nerd out a little bit for a second, okay? Uh, now, I don't know what version of the Bible you might be reading, uh, but if you read different versions, you will find that this last phrase, your name and your word, gets translated several different ways. And, and the reality is that the Hebrew is a little bit confusing, okay? What we know the Hebrew is saying is that God is doing something great above everything else with his name and his word. But exactly how to translate that into English is a little bit of a difficult task, and so what it get, happens here is that you get this word and, which is a conjunction. You're going to get a little grammar. I'm sorry. Just bear with me, okay? You get this conjunction and, but in the Hebrew, there's no conjunction, okay? There's no word and. It's just something like this. God is making his name great, his word. And the two words are just put together. They're just right next to each other. Now, this might be confusing at first, but we do this in English, right? And so we might say, uh, Shane, the pastor, is great. Okay, now, you probably wouldn't say that sentence, but if you were to say something like that, uh, <laughs> that is not what I meant. <laughs> I meant grammatically. He is a great person. All right, we're going to move along. All right, so you might say, you will definitely say, Shane, the pastor, is a great person. That's not how I went the first time around. Okay, uh, Shane, the pastor. Uh, but the Shane and then the pastor refer to the same person, right? And this is called two nouns in apposition. Not opposition, apposition. And so they're meaning that they refer to the same person, right? And so I think what's happening here grammatically is that this psalm is saying that you are making your name great. That is your word. Now, being the nerd that I am, I decided, you know what, I need to look and see what word 
this gets translated into because there's this verse in John chapter one that says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And so I was interested. And so I looked up in the Greek Old Testament and wouldn't you know it that this word gets translated by that word, logos. So this Psalm is telling us, if you're reading it in Greek, that God is making his name, his logos, greater than anything. Now, it's like, oh, Pastor Tyler, that's interesting. I'm falling asleep. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And so that's great. And then we find Jesus in Matthew 28, 18, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty exalted position, wouldn't you say? And then we find Acts 4, 12 says that there is no other name by which people on earth can be saved. So this Old Testament passage says that God is going to exalt his name, that is his word, above all things. And we get to the New Testament and we see that God has exalted his name, that is his word, that is his son, Jesus Christ, above all things. And so this Old Testament psalm is saying that what Jesus is, is the exaltation of God. That what Jesus is, is that he is the pinnacle of God's love for you. And that that must be, as a Christian, your basis for gratitude. That as we enter into the season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, there is no gift that can make you happy. There is no gift that should be the determining factor of whether or not you are happy. That your gratefulness, that your thankfulness must be solely and wholly based on Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is his life death, and resurrection for which we are thankful. So resolve to give thanks and remember that it's based on the work, dare I say the finished work of Jesus Christ for your behalf. So the next thing that this psalm teaches us to do is to rehearse God's goodness to you. Rehearse God's goodness to you. Let's read this passage in verse 3. It says, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. You see, if you're going to live thankful, live a thankful life outwardly, if you're going to express the goodness of God to others and have an impact in this community and wherever you call home, you've got to know what it is that God has done for you. You've got to know how it is that God has been good to you. And so the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they were called to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they were warned that they needed to keep that word, to keep the law on their minds and on their lips day and night. That they needed to never let the story of God depart from their mind. And so you find throughout the Bible, time and time again, this story is recounted. Right? And so if you're reading quickly, you may even come to a passage like, I know this story. Let's just get on to the next part. And then you come even to Acts and you find that one of the apostles is in trouble and he begins to tell the story of Israel. But this time he carries it on to the story of Jesus. See, the people of Israel knew that dark days may be ahead and the goodness of God in your past is your resource for your future. Right. That the goodness of God from your past is your resource for your current battle and stressful situation. That you need to know that God has been good to you. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, can you, on a moment's notice, tell someone what God has done in your life? Have you rehearsed the stories? 
Have you rehearsed the stories in your life so that when someone says, is God real? Yes, let me tell you what he's done for me. Can you do that? If you've heard me speak very many times, a common story that comes up from my family is about my dad. My dad, when I was in the ninth grade, got diagnosed with leukemia. It was a very difficult moment, and for weeks after that, I was just a terrible student. My mind was everywhere. I couldn't get a hold of anything. And I remember very distinctly, there was this missionary couple that my parents had been friends with for a long time, and they weren't in our town, but for whatever reason, they made sure that they got to my parents' house. And I can remember, this was just weeks after my dad's diagnosis, that they show up and that they're praying in our living room. And I, I tear up because I can remember the, the feeling of the presence of God. And Janora Reed, this missionary lady, looks at my dad and says that, that your sickness will not be unto death. Now, what we had to work with at that time was that the worst case was my dad had six months and the best case was five years. So he was looking at three to five years was roughly what he could expect. So this idea that this wouldn't end in his death was not really registering with us. And yet there was something in the conviction in her heart and the presence of God in that room that I, I felt that it was true. I didn't know how, but I felt like that, that must be really what God is saying. November 11th, this last week, marks 15 years that my dad has still going strong. And I can remember six months after this prayer session, after my dad has been diagnosed, I'm outside playing basketball with one of my friends, and I go into the house to get something to eat or something to drink, and the phone rings, and my mom answers. The next thing I know, my mom's like jumping and screaming with joy, and I'm like, what's going on? And she says, your dad has entered into remission. That the leukemia is under control. Well, he still lives with it. He still has to go through it. But I remember in that moment realizing that that promise, that this would not be in a death, that God was already working to bring that to truth. And so I remember literally running out of the house, jumping. It's like the only time in my life, if you know me, it's the only time in my life that I'm literally jumping for joy. I'm telling my friend, and I'm not supposed to tell anyone yet, I'm telling my friend what's happening. Can you recount the goodness of God in your life? Because there are so many dark moments in life, and if you don't remember how God has been good to you, you may think that he hasn't done anything for you. Have you ever been like an ungrateful kid, and you're like, you're like your parents didn't give, what you, give you what you want? You say, you never do anything for me. And then they start telling you all of the things that you've done. And if you have any shred of humanity in you, you will start to feel about this tall. Because you remember, like, yeah, they gave me life. So that one's pretty good, Right? When you rehearse the goodness of God in your life, you will never be able to look him in the face and say, you haven't done anything for me. And so that when a diagnosis comes that you don't understand, you will say, I know that my Lord lives and he is good. And so when another fight hits a marriage that was once healed from the brink of divorce by God, you will know that nothing can stop what God wants to do in your life. When you're out of work, you will be reminded of the ways that God has provided food in the past, and you'll trust once again. So this morning, if you want to live outwardly thankful to God, you need to know what he's done for you. 
And each of you have those stories, and you need to rehearse it. Your family needs to know those stories. Don't let those stories be something you do in your mind, but tell your kids. Tell your kids. And when you're at Thanksgiving dinner, don't, don't be in a rush to eat the food. But when they go around the table and we awkwardly talk about what we're thankful for, literally take the whole evening to tell what God has done in your life. Maybe don't do that. You might, might get a fork or something in your hand. But literally tell what God has done in your life. Rehearse the goodness of the Lord so that you can face the dark times. The next thing that you need to do from the psalm is you need to recognize. You need to recognize God's praise around the world. So this psalm has been about what God has done for the author, and then we get to these middle verses, and something different happens. Let's read together. It says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from far. Recognize that God's praise is going around the world. I don't know what your work situation is, but many jobs in this country right now, if you express your faith too loudly or too, too clearly, you might be in serious trouble. I know like the students, that they, they really struggle to even be able to start Bible clubs. We have students in our, in our church that want to start a Bible club and have an incredible, difficult time being able to start it. So we live in a country that isn't all about you talking about your faith. We live in a country that slowly but surely is starting to have some issues if you express your faith. And so you may find yourself at work. You may be like the only Christian you know. You're not alone. You're not alone. Even if you feel alone, you're not alone. And here's how. The Bible tells us that we are actually surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. That when, as a Christian, we actually get to join in with the larger community of God. That not only are we surrounded by those who have come before us in the faith, but we are actually literally a part of the family of God that spreads around the world. God's praises are going around the world. Did you know that one of the fastest growing churches in the world is in Iran? Did you know that? You'd never know that. You'd never know that from public uh, readings and stuff like that. But God is moving in the underground church in Iran. I was recently talking to a friend who was somewhere in the Middle East, and he was working with some people who had actually fled Iran. And he was talking to this one man who had fled when he got saved because his uncle was after him. His uncle was after him to kill him. So he fled the country. At some time and part during that process of fleeing the country, his parents actually got saved. And his uncle killed his parents. So my friend was talking to him, and he's telling me this story. He said, I was so sad for what was happening and so heartbroken and realizing that no matter how bad it may seem like it's getting here, it's just nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters are facing. I said, but then what the guy said shocked me. I said, what, what's your plan? And this man from Iran said, if I could just get to my uncle. If I could just get to my uncle and if he could come to know the Lord, my whole family would be saved. Not, a, not an ounce of revenge in his voice. He said, if I could just get to him, then I know my whole family would come to know the Lord. Recognize that God's kingdom is advancing against darkness all around this earth. There is nothing that can stop the kingdom of God. I mean, my goodness, look in our own country right now. We have like a rap mogul who just got saved. 
He used to sing about all sorts of things that led people in crazy ways, and now he's just released an album and saying, Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow. And Kanye's in like prisons leading people to Jesus. He's holding Sunday service when thousands of people are coming to hear him. And say what you want. I really don't care how you feel about him because I feel like what Paul says is I don't care the motivation if Christ is being preached. So know that no matter what is happening, the kingdom of God is advancing around this world, that you are not alone. Recognize that God's praise is global. We're not just here and carry. The last thing that we need to do If we want to live a life that's outwardly thankful, that expresses our thanks for what God has done, then you need to learn to rely on God. You need to learn to rely on God's faithfulness. He will never give up on you. Rely on God's faithfulness. He will never give up on you. So we read together these last couple verses. It says, though I walk in the midst of trouble. That sounds a lot like Psalm 23. Though I walk through the darkest of valleys, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. You see, we're talking about living outwardly with our thanks. But the reality is that we walk through dark moments, right? The reality is that we walk through moments where we're not so sure we're thankful to be following God. We're not so sure that we're thankful to have made the decisions that we've made. We're not so sure that we're thankful for the sacrifices that it requires to follow Jesus. And the attack of the enemy at that moment is coming in on you. The attack of the enemy, whether it's through sickness or finances or through its battles in your own mind and mental health, that God is literally coming in to protect you. You see, sometimes the Psalms talk about God going in and fighting for you. I don't think that's quite what this psalm is doing. I think that the picture is more like this, that God and his strength is coming in with his hands to shelter you. You see, because in certain times in life, we just want God to stop the attack. And so we pray and we pray and we pray, and yet the attack doesn't seem to stop. But what we need to recognize is that sometimes God's intent is not to stop the attack, but to shield you. Because there's something that needs to happen with the attack, but he still intends to protect you. So God comes in and he shields, and then when he shields, he can actually scoop you up and deliver you. This is the type of God that we serve. You see, God intends to preserve your purpose. God intends to preserve your purpose, but there's a caveat. He's not going to preserve the purpose you've designed for your life. There's no guarantee that your dreams and your ambitions are protected by God's plan. There's no guarantee of that. The guarantee is that God's plan for your life will prosper. That God's plan for your life, when you surrender to him, will prosper. That God's purpose will be preserved by God. So what is your purpose? Well, it may look a bunch of different ways, but it can be boiled down to this. Your purpose is to reflect the image of God into the world. That's it. Reflect the image of God, the love of God, the love of Jesus into the world to take the thanks that's in your heart, express it through your mouth, and allow people to see the love of God in the world. That is your purpose. How you do it, that's between you and God. But that is your purpose. 
And God will always protect that. God will always protect that. He will never give up on you. If the worship team would come back up this morning, I want to return to the story of my dad and this idea of purpose. My dad has been with leukemia for 15 years. And a number of years ago, I was talking to him. And through that time, it's been like the Psalms have been lived by my family. At one moment, we're happy because he's so healthy. In another moment, he seems a little bit sicker. And so we're in lament and we're in sorrow. And it seems like it's just always up and down. And I asked my dad, I said, what, what's, what's going on? And he's, he looked at me and said, I don't, I don't know that God ever plans to heal me. And he actually said that from the pulpit and he got in trouble. Some people were like, that's not biblical. And he said, oh, hear me out. I said, I think God has a different purpose for me. I think God's more than capable to heal me. I think God's more than capable and more than willing. But as you know, over the years in our community, in Alabama, there have been people who would never come to a church. And one day they get a call from a doctor and they got terminal cancer. And then they remember that for the last decade, this pastor has been dealing with it. So they call him up and they say, hey, pastor, I know you're not my pastor, but I'm going through something and I really need someone to talk to. You know what I'm dealing with. And time and time again, my dad has led people to Jesus that would never come to the church because they were struck with cancer all of a sudden and their heart was opened and God used my dad's sickness as a bridge to walk into their lives. And some of those people passed away. Some of those people were healed. And my dad said, I, you know, I think, I think that's what God's doing with my life. I think he's preserving me. He's not allowing this cancer to take me, but he's allowing it to be a tool in someone else's life. And he said, the day that God decides that my healing will produce more glory for him, then I'll be healed. But until that moment, I'm just going to do whatever it is that God has planned for me. You see, God will preserve your purpose, but your purpose is to bring him glory, not yourself. So if you would this morning, go ahead and stand with me. This psalm is an invitation. It's an invitation to participate, to participate in your relationship with God. So I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you need to resolve to give thanks to God. Maybe you're not happy with God, and maybe you just need to resolve that, yeah, I'm going to give thanks to God no matter what. Maybe this morning you need to remind yourself of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to come and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord for the first time. Perhaps you need to rehearse God's goodness in your life. Perhaps you just need a few minutes to remind yourself of all the ways that God has been good to you. Perhaps you need to recognize that you're not alone. Maybe you're the only person saved in your family, and yet God has a plan for you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants to use you. You are not alone. And maybe this morning you're going through a dark time, and you just need to rely on God. You need to rely on God. You need to rely on his goodness and his mercy this morning. So as the worship team sings, I want you to respond to God in whichever way is necessary for you. Because here's the deal. When we deal with this in our hearts, when we become thankful, then all of a sudden we can go out of this building telling people of the goodness of God.
We can sit with our brothers or sisters, maybe who's going through a divorce, maybe who's losing their job, and remind them of the goodness of God in your life, and it will be encouragement to them. Maybe you have someone that just needs to know of the transformation of God's love in your life that ultimately leads them to Jesus. So this morning, I want you to take this time as the worship team sings to resolve whatever it is in your heart and say, God, I want to be outwardly thankful. I want the world to know. I want to discipline myself to express thanks to you in front of everyone. So I'm going to pray for you and the worship team is going to sing. I encourage you to find a place to participate with God. God, I pray this morning that our hearts would be filled with thankfulness to you. God, I pray that we would respond to your word because you are good. Lord, you have met us here. You have met us in our lives. You have not left us alone or forsaken us. There is too many testimonies of your goodness in this room to not know that you are here. So God, this morning we give thanks to you. We praise your name, your word, above all else. Meet with us here. Find a place to pray. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.